Wow, wow, wow. I had an interesting discussion with Nika Kabiri today. She is a professor at the University of Washington. Uh, she teaches in the field of decision science. Uh, she owns uh, Kabiri Consulting. She's written a book uh, that's available on Amazon, Money Off the Table, Decision Science, and the Secret to Smarter Investing. She also, as a way of giving back to the community, um, she has a website called yournextdecision.com where subscribers can submit questions and particular problems, and she kind of goes through the decision science of it all. Very fascinating person. Uh, we talked about everything from politics to our own process of decision-making. There's some uh, pointers and interesting notes for entrepreneurs in the discussion. Uh, just had a really good time with Nika. And everything connecting to her, including her Twitter, at Nika Kabiri, will be in the show notes you can just link to. But, you know, I, I just want to get right to this show, so let's get into it. Mainstream media is dominated by the right and the left. The majority in the middle are left without a voice. You've reached the Conservative Hippie Podcast, a common sense look at life, the universe, and everything. Here's your host, Jay Frat, the Conservative Hippie. Oh, Nika, thank you so much for joining me. I really do appreciate it taking the time out of your schedule to share yourself, your knowledge uh, with me and listeners of the Conservative Hippie Podcast. I just want to jump right in because what you do, your field of study is so fascinating to me. And I know I've got some hints that you didn't necessarily um, get pushed into decision science. You almost found it as self-help. Do you want to do you want to tell tell us about how you found yourself in this decision science field of study? Absolutely. And first of all, thank you for having me on your show. I'm really happy to be here. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. I um, I suffered from um, depression, anxiety. I had panic attacks in my twenties. You know, I had a lot of personal issues, and you know, tried therapy, tried meds. Not saying that it, they don't work for everyone or that they're not effective, but they just weren't working for me. And around that same time, I just stumbled into well, not stumbled into. I chose to go to graduate school to study sociology, and while there, I learned about as anyone in sociology studies, you learn about what makes social groups tick or what makes societies tick. And one really crucial lesson there is connecting your individual, personal, painful moments, negative experiences, those moments where you sit and wonder, why is this happening to me? Um, and connecting them to larger social phenomenon, even like historical phenomenon. And it just kind of opened my eyes to the possibility that you know, my problems, my experiences had a bigger, had a larger context involved. And that um, that context was sort of influencing me in a way that was removing the agency from my life. And only through that agency, that ability to kind of choose my way through my life without being pushed and pulled by all these social forces, would I ever be able to get healthier. Um, and then later in grad school, I ended up studying with, um, scholars who were at the top of their field in 
um, what's called rational choice theory, which is basically applying economic models of decision making to ex to you know sociological phenomenon to explain why people do things or why social groups you know end up behaving in certain ways. Um, anything from like you know I don't war protests explaining um, why people choose their spouse, exp explaining inequality, um, all of these different social phenomenon using like choice theory, game theoretic models, agent-based simulations. Um, and so just putting that all together and applying that to, my, that to my life, I was like, okay, first I realized I needed to get better at making choices and not letting society's you know, forces pressure me into to doing things that was causing me this, this personal heartache. And then learning the actual tools to make decisions better, um, then it all just kind of came together. And now, you know, I, I don't have any of those symptoms I used to have. I'm living a fulfilling life and I'm using all the things that I learned to help businesses um, become healthier, um, to, to thrive and grow. So you actually created, you, you healed yourself and you created this self-help kind of uh, practical model through your studies. I mean, that's kind of amazing, isn't it? Well, it's, it. I, you know, I don't, it, okay, so because it happens, I'm doing it, and it's my life, it never feels amazing when it's your life, yeah. right? <laughs> it felt like survival to me. It felt like I had to have an answer, or else I wasn't just, I wasn't going to make it. I was really suicidal. I was not doing well. I needed I needed to do something that um, that wasn't being done before because nothing that was being done before was working, and it just it just seemed so obvious to me that just the more information you have about what makes people tick and what makes the world tick, the better, the more powerful you can be, the more empowered you can be to improve your life, the lives of those around you, society. Um, yeah, I think for me it was just more a, a matter of life or death. It's very interesting, um, especially in this day and age, how you must constantly, I almost think of it like a uh, lens on a camera where you're zooming out constantly mm -hmm. to see this macro environment, this you know society in general in these groups, but then you're also using um, the same techniques to, to close the lens and zoom into yourself and see yourself within that dynamic. Whatever is going on in that head of yours with this, uh, with this education that you've received, you must think about these things and then relate it to yourself uh, day on a daily basis. It, it must be, is it nerve wracking? Do you get inside your own head <laughs> quite a bit? Or, you know, is there almost ways that you've trained yourself to almost ignore sometimes the noise that you're creating for yourself? Yeah. You know, that, that analogy of the lens is really great. I love that. Um, you know, I, I think this is where therapy and what, and decision science for me differ because when I was in therapy, I did feel like there was a lot of you know, introspection, um, you know, digging deep, looking inside that felt very noisy because you, I just couldn't get there. You, it's really hard to get there. You have all of these feelings. It's hard to kind of know what to do with them. And then, you know, you're, you're raw, you're emotional. And then, and now what? And that's where I always felt I ended up in therapy. It was like, go to therapy session. I'm just unraveling. I fall apart and then I'm sent on my way. And without the tools to know what to do in my life. You know, there's tools that the, the therapy gave me to figure out what to do 
um, in the you know psychological you know self and analysis kind of aspect of it. Yes. Um, but when I when I practice decision science and apply it to my own life and in in a self help way, there is no noise because you you kind of recognize that by understanding things, you are kind of removed from it kind of removes you from the pain of it a little bit. You kind of see things in a more objective way. And so it's it's less noisy and it's much more clear. And I, I know this sounds kind of strange, but it's sort of like, you know, being in the matrix and you kind of see the ones and zeros and you're like, oh, okay, I get the algorithm. And you, you're constantly trying to learn more aspects of the algorithm. You're kind of still doing that analysis and learning. But the more you know, the more you just, feel I feel at peace I feel calm I don't I don't get riled up I don't feel um, when I have a bad day um, I can work through it much more easily because it I can I can pinpoint okay I you know I get what's happening here I mean you know I'm, I'm stuck in this cognitive bias that's that's pulling me back all right I can remove myself from the situation I can be objective it's it's a lot more um, it's not as as noisy as it is you might think yeah okay uh I'll, I'll give you the choice. Do you want to go uh, towards a business angle or do you want to uh, stay on a personal angle? Well, let me ask you, who's your audience? My audience is wildly mixed. Uh, I have everything from uh, some young people that see me as a father figure uh, to mm. a peer group um, that are interested in economics and politics. Um, and it's... It's varied. The people that contact me, the last person that contacted me that I enjoyed um, chatting with uh, is actually uh, living in Argentina. He's an expat living in Argentina mm. and enjoyed the kind of the macroeconomic uh, geopolitical uh, talk that we put on here. But okay, so, oh, nice. so we'll start. So well, you went personal. So I'll, let, let me share. I, I'd love to do. I'd love to do personal. And let me tell you, I have a website that I'd like to plug for my personal stuff too, if that's yes. okay. Oh, please. It, yeah. It's um, yournextdecision.com. Okay. Can I, I talk about it now or? And I am going to, I'm going to yournextdecision.com. I didn't have that uh, in my show notes, but all yeah. everyth everything related to Nika Kabiri is going to be in the show notes. And so if anybody wants to find you, uh, all they'll have to do is click on those show notes and there'll be links easily available. But but please Perfect. go ahead and share yournextdecision.com. Yeah, so um, I just launched yournextdecision.com um, because I wanted to share some of the insights that I've learned that, and I've applied to my own personal life um, with other people who might be struggling to, you know, just even make better decisions or who are struggling with some of the same issues that I struggled with um, when I was younger. So uh, there's the site has an advice column. If you subscribe to the site, you are um, welcome to submit a question to me. And um, I can I randomly select questions that I get and write uh, my advice column around those questions. So you get a chance to be selected. Is this your have, way? Is this your way of giving back? Is this your way I, of applying your education and trying to um, help help people coming up behind you or your peer group that happens to be struggling with things that you did? It it is, and this is why it's so. Let me tell you, it's so important to me because. You know, in my 20s, there were moments when I had 
such such low days that I would literally go to bed at night and hope to not wake up in the morning. And when I woke up in the morning, I would curse the fact that I was awake. I mean, I was that depressed and I was in it alone because the only support that I got was from people who encouraged me to go to therapy or from therapists or you know people in the therapy industry. And that stuff just wasn't working. It just wasn't working for me. And I couldn't, I couldn't seem to get help unless I bought into that whole program. And I, I swore to myself that if I ever knew of anyone who was struggling in that same way and was alone, that I would not let them go through that alone because it's little hell. And I don't know why I'm even, I don't know, I'm lucky that I'm even here right now. And that's, and this is my way of doing this in a, in a, a large scale way. Yeah. If, if there are people out there who are going through this stuff alone and the solutions that are out there aren't working, maybe this will help and you're not alone. That's great. I, I personally, for what you told about your uh, personal story and decision science, it made me think about um, something I learned in counseling, boy, I think in my thirties, um, I had, I had gotten stuck in destructive decision-making um, patterns of destructive decision making, and I learned about uh, what the counselor termed the executive self. And the way that I can describe that is that little voice in the back of your head um, that's saying that what you are about to do or going to do, you know, is wrong. And the way that I applied that, and I want to see if this if this correlates to something in decision science, is. I would take myself when it came to that moment where I could go down a path of what I would consider to be a bad decision, I would play it out in my head. So I would fast forward, go down that bad decision and I would fast forward in my head till it ended in that destructive moment. And so therefore, I didn't need to make that bad decision anymore and I could pass, I could make the positive decision because I already knew where it was going to lead and I played it out in my head and I could clearly see that. Um, is, hmm. And that's non-scientific. That it's kind of just a tool that I learned to make better decisions in my life, um, and it has helped me tremendously. Yeah, that's really interesting. I don't. Um, it's you know, I I think I I tend to believe that you really can't predict what's going to happen. I think that's what I think that's where I would kind of want to talk, like learn more from you about this because um, it there's so many variables at play in our daily lives. There's so many variables that are inside of our own heads, um, inside of our bodies. I mean, there's even research that shows that what you eat for breakfast can impact the choices that you make during the day, whether it's you eat a high protein or high carb meal um, will determine whether you choose to socially punish other people or, you know, in other words, call them out and reinforce, you know, social norms call them out for breaking the rules um, or whether you're likely, you know, to um, like a high protein meal is associated with being more collaborative with other people, being oh, wow. more cooperative with other people. So, I mean, if you imagine that, that is just one example of sort of the physiological or even like internal variables that impact what might happen in the future. But then there's also social variables. Like there are a lot of things that we plan to do and then you know, something comes along that we don't expect that some decision somebody else makes that throws us on another path. So it's very, very hard to predict how your decision is going to play out in the longer term. You can 
think in that in, you can think about your future in terms of probability like it's likely that this will that such and such will happen or it's more likely that you know this choice will lead down this path versus this other path um but i think that that's an effective way to to kind of predict it's i think what sounds like what you're doing is you're forecasting and then based on that forecast you're deciding for or against a particular course of, of action. Yeah, and I um, I didn't explain my situation very well, but you know, the, it, it had done, it had dealt with patterns, right? So once you develop this uh, pattern, and and I viewed it as destructive, right? When I saw myself becoming coming to the precipice of starting this chain reaction leading to this destructive pattern, I could make a decision early on to not go down that path. And, you know, that that would, again, we would almost need a couch uh, and a therapy session to, to further explain it more. But it's, some, it's a tool I've used in decision making uh, when it comes to those destructive patterns and poor decision making of the past to correct and make it in the future when those patterns are coming about to alter the course and correct it so that I don't have that. Um, I always grapple with those uh, decisions and those destructive patterns, but this tool has dramatically helped me uh, eliminate um, going down those patterns, fall, falling into those pitfalls uh, again and again and again. Another... Oh, yes. You know, oh, go ahead, go ahead please. No, I was going to say it's just really cool because what you're really, I think what you're really talking about is what, what sociologists call um, path dependence. It's sort of this, um, it's a fancy word to describe how, you know, decision you make today can set, sets up a series of options that another decision may not set up. And so it's sort of like, you know, it's like, it's like a cat climbing a tree. A cat chooses a branch and that branch that he chooses to climb up dictates where what other branches he has an option to choose from and he has you know only those branches to choose from that are ahead of him and whichever branch he chooses from that there are other you know branches off of that branch that he can choose from but he can't go really if he's still climbing up you can't go and hop across the entire tree you're just kind of going up a path and each decision you make in life is the same way you you know it sets you on a path it sort of locks you in and so if you can play that out like that in the future the way that you say that you do that's pretty sophisticated, actually. That's pretty great, and that's that's the goal. Yeah. Well, yeah. The goal the goal was to eliminate um, the destructive pattern, the 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 poor decisions that I had made in the past, to not replicate those in the future and break any kind of uh, pattern that I had. Um, mm -hmm. Another thing that drives me crazy, and and I have no idea how we're going to relate this to the decision science, but I've got you in the lab, and I want to I want to talk to you about this because mm -hmm. a lot of the people that listen to my show, uh, we speak often to entrepreneurs entrepreneurial spirits and artists and, you know, all trying to live this free lifestyle, uh, almost, you know, mingling in this economic system, but also living out of it. And what I've noticed about myself is I love to create. I'm constantly creating. I'm a serial entrepreneur, and I think of platforms within platforms and little, like, so arms within the platform I've built that I live on, and, and whether it's marketing or uh, things with my employees and labor utilization, 
I get very manic and I, I love to create these new ideas. What I've noticed is once this idea is manifest and I have created it, I don't enjoy maintaining and building it. I am already ready to move on to the next creative thing that I want to create. Uh, from your decision science, what does that say about me and, and how, how do I become uh, better about fulfilling or nurturing these creations? And, and I, I'm sure a lot of people out there are drawing parallels to their life and what they're doing. So I hope that it can, I hope whatever you have to say can kind of spread to more examples than just me and my, my entrepreneurial self. Yeah, I guess I would ask you a question um, as a response is, why do you feel you need to get better at nurturing? Um, it, that is a great question. To further the success of the creation of, of what I created, um, you know, they're, they're there and it satisfies me, um, but maybe society doesn't buy into it or play with it like I would like or participate with it uh, like I would like. It needs a marketing program and it needs outreach and it needs things that would require different kind of work than the creative process to get there. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. In other words, for you to, to grow a thriving business out of it, you actually have to do more than just create something. Yes. Yeah. And so I guess my next question is, why are you the person who has to do that? Oh, I, 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 I don't know, but I've, I've, I wouldn't know how to, uh, I guess, I guess you're going down a road that, that I, I wouldn't even think about. So often with myself, uh, I do things and I am the hard worker in the room. I am the one that does everything. I'm not a control freak, as some would maybe possibly label. It's just when things need to get done, I seem to be the one that gets them done. Um, and mm -hmm. since they're my creations, I guess I would think that I know what best to do with it. I don't know. Where, where are you going with? Uh... I guess, yeah, I guess I'm going, where I'm going with it is what it is trying to identify, well, what is your end game? That's my question. Um, because I think oftentimes we we make choices because we feel like we have to because there's this kind of this nagging thing in the back of our head that says we that, that this is just what we ought to do. Yes. And and that's just that's those are just what sociologists will call social norms. Okay. And they're partially cultural or they're just socially reinforced. Sometimes our institutions introduce us to these norms and reinforce them. But social norms are just, you know, the rules of behavior that just, you know, what we should and shouldn't do social. Uh, we've all agreed socially um, on what they are and it, they help society kind of function really well. It's it kind of helps things move along, like standing in an organized line at the grocery store. There's no rule that says that you're going to be rusted if you cut in line. But we all know that it's against the social the social informal norm um, of, of, you know, cue behavior to cut because it just dis causes so much disruption to do that. Right. Yes. And they're all, you know, and social norms are of all sorts. And one social norm in business that I, I have heard is what you just said, like you ought to be able to bring your idea to life. It's got to have product market fit. It's got to have the right, um, uh, you know, actual production behind it. Um, it's got to develop traction. You've got to have, you know, all of these metrics 
to prove out that it's going to it is actually working um but but that's just a norm and i think sometimes we don't question those norms and we don't question the um the nuances of those norms so yeah if you want to grow and develop if you want your idea to become a flourishing business then the business itself should do all of those things but what's your personal end game what is your end game in your life is is it your end game to be a ceo to kind of see that happen if not then then the choice you need to make is to find the right people to make that happen or to you know let the idea go so somebody else can bring that to life um okay well let, let's yeah. let's get into this then and when i was uh when i was laying out this podcast in my head and thinking about how the conversation would go i thought i would be the one to bring the base metrics of decision making into the conversation but you just did it and i i i i'm delighted because you must think about this a lot and when i say the base metrics of decision making in my example there you mentioned societal norms you're exactly right i feel the pressure to create to take this creation and make it quote unquote successful whether it be on uh, social media optics or monetary gain and even though that's not necessary in my life and therefore that's just the social norm that's pushing me towards that it could be if happiness was my base metric i would free myself up to put that creation on the shelf like send it to the send it out into the universe and be more content moving on to the next project is the, where okay so there's a couple different things there and we're talking about the base metrics of decision making whether it be happiness economics how do you how do you parse that and then um did i get that right in the fact that if i put happiness as a as a as the base metric of of what i'm doing then i would be able to kind of walk away or set aside that creation without the guilt of maintaining and tinkering um, that i might pick it up again later and 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 be happier with myself to move on to the next exciting creation that i'm thinking about yeah i mean happiness should always be part of that end game right i mean why do anything if it's not going to make us you know and happiness is elusive so i'm not saying there's this like you know you're going to reach this moment where the you know the the sky will part the sun will shine and and you'll realize ah finally i've achieved happiness it's it's just constantly trying to strive for that fulfillment that should why shouldn't we all want that it's how what does that mean to you and the way you described creating and you know coming up with these ideas and you know if that's where your sweet spot is why why let those you know norms this pesky norms is so that that peer pressure get in the way of your creative energy well i guess and and i get that i totally get that and that that's almost freeing in some ways to have somebody point out that all that is in my head is the social is the desire to fall within social norms is that peer pressure if you will and in the end this is my creation this is my life and it is my decision it doesn't have anything to do yeah. with society beyond the norms and so i i totally appreciate that and i and i thank you for that um but wh where does 
So that's fascinating because I thought I was going to bring up happiness because it does seem from your consulting and you know what you do, so much of it is focused on helping businesses. And you know, you you've almost acted um oblivious to the fact that people might be making decisions based on economic means and wealth. And I'm just mm -hmm. curious, you know, where you is there is there a, a hierarchy of this, you know, the base metrics of decision making? I sorry I created that. You can please <laughs> correct me and tell me I'm rolling what, with it. <laughs> what the correct words are. Uh where, you know, do you compartmentalize and say, okay, so this is when you're making money decisions and this is when you're making happiness decisions. You know, how do you navigate that stream? Okay, I I, I wonder if I'm answering your I'm gonna be answering your question correctly. I am not um, I tend to be very um, different in what I think business should be than most people in business. Oh, that's awesome. Please share. And, yeah. And I, I'm, and this is the book that I'm writing about is, is a, largely about that. I, I think that in business, and if you read business books and you study business and you're in business, it's all about growth. It's all about the bottom line, it's all about making money. Yes. And on the one hand, as individuals, as humans, as like really feeling deep thinking human beings who really understand, you know, what life is about when we are in those moments, we know money doesn't matter. You know, money isn't really going to bring us happiness. It helps us, relieves us, it relieves us of stress because it provides options that where, you know, well, we don't have to worry about food. We don't have to worry about shelter. Okay. That makes happiness more likely but we know that what matters is connection belonging love supporting each other all of that stuff but in business when we're in that business mode suddenly we forget about that and we because business dictates that we care about making money we care about growing we care about revenue and suddenly we sacrifice all of these other things we care about for the sake of business and i really do believe that it's possible to do business especially to be an entrepreneur and care less about just making money and incorporate some of these other things that really matter into what we do. And so to me, a, a you know, performance metric in business could be, you know, happiness. It could be fulfillment. It could be, okay, am I really solving a, a real social problem or am I saying I'm solving a real social problem for marketing purposes? Um, there, I, I wonder if it's not possible. I think it's possible to put those metrics into the equation and to kind of perhaps readjust what our expectations are financially to accommodate that. Um, maybe we don't need to be a multi-million dollar global industry if the the if our end game is really to, you know, end world hunger and also have employees that are very, very happy. Uh, um, I, I love that. That's that's brilliant. And it's a great reminder, especially for small business owners, that this adventure is yours and you can create whatever yes. you want to create. It doesn't, you know, I, I've gotten to the point uh, 23 years in retailing and retail business where I've stopped focusing on growth. Uh, the growth kind of ate at me in some ways. And I am focused more on roots, if you will, and mm -hmm. community and um, the 
just the, the community nature with my employees. My podcast, this conservative hippie podcast, the goals of it are more community-based than they are, um, I don't know, uh, fame or monetization. And, yeah. and so that's kind of playing out in the ways that you spoke of. How, when you go about, and you are an expert in this field, I don't know if it's unethical for you to try to push an agenda, but how do you try to wake business owners and people in that sphere up to this larger options of uh, the metrics behind the decisions they're making? How do you how do you help them yeah. see that? So I I believe that those those folks that have been embedded in business for a while. Um, my major contribution to them has been to accelerate their growth to just because, and because there is such a thing as inertia, there is such a thing as social pressure. And once it's exerted itself, it's really hard to reverse. I can't, I don't feel like I am powerful enough in my insights to change those minds. I really, really prefer to speak to those who have never started a business before very new entrepreneurs, younger people. Like, so I teach classes at the University of Washington. Um, a lot of my students want to be entrepreneurs. It's there that I feel the decision science and the, that my perspective on business or this perspective, not mine, it's this perspective on business has the most impact because this newer generation of entrepreneurs is entering the business space in an, a, a social and political climate that's really unprecedented. And they really do wanna solve real problems. They really do wanna, I think more of them now than ever are in it not to just make money, they want to do good. And arming them with the, the, the permission to shed the, 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 this pressure of social norms, these expectations and, and have, different performance metrics, for instance, or choose different types of businesses, different business models. Um, I mean, I think that's where that's where I think change is going to happen. That is awesome. Um, do you have do you have I know we're 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 pressing up against to the, the end of our conversation. Do you have time for just one more um, yeah. quick topic? Okay, great. So you mentioned something while we were talking and I thought it was interesting. It struck a chord with me. And it was almost like um, what I see all the time in my business, and I'm very into content marketing, and I see content marketing for marketing's sake, not for the sake of the content. In other words, they're only the, the driver is the marketing, and so they don't really worry about the quality of the content. And to mm -hmm. me, it should be about the quality of the content, and then you market that because you've got something so nice. Now, and you you almost mentioned while we were talking, I can't remember what we were talking about, but but you almost mentioned something fake, right? You were were along the same lines yeah. in that. Now let me let me put it towards the news. And when when you can have a conversation with somebody and you can both pull out your phones and say, Well, this is the fact, and they oppose each other, how are we supposed to make decisions on a regular basis? in this climate where we have political actors lying to us, they know they're lying to us, and yet, and there's also opposing factions lying. So we have 
fake news, if you will, on so many different sides coming at us, and we're we're struggling to live in this environment where we're supposed to have a representative democracy, just try to get the facts, try to whittle down all of and shed the skin of all this marketing and this Bernays-like um, societal uh, push buttons to get to the facts. Do you have do you have anything with decision science that helps a person navigate today's political landscape? Yeah, yeah. This is a really, really great question. It's a really important one, and I have journalists asking me um, this, like, to offer insights on this all the time. So I know it's it's a very timely question, and I think this is where the science part of decision science really is is powerful, um, because I think we argue so much over facts, and there's a difference to me between facts and truth. Um, in science, if you if you follow the scientific process you are constantly on the search for facts. You know, having a fact in front of you doesn't mean you have an answer. It doesn't mean you have the truth. It just means that you are getting closer to understanding. And the idea is that you will never perfectly understand anything. As long as you have that in the back of your mind, that you it's a, it's a progress, it's a struggle, it's a, it's a journey that you will never perfectly know truth. You are just trying to get as close as possible to it before you die. <laughs> basically, before humanity dies or whatever. Um, so um, and if you understand that, then it, two things happen. First of all, you are able to um, keep growing, keep learning, keep gathering more facts um, and not assume that what you know is all there is to know. And that's a really big trap in um in the way that you, you know, the way that your brain kind of traps you into making bad decisions, that's one of the big ones. And I, this is, if you've heard of Daniel Kahneman and his book Thinking Fast and Slow, and the work that he's done, um, he's a Nobel uh, Prize-winning behavioral economist. A lot of his work centers on this idea that you know the brain assumes that what it knows is all there is to know, or what it sees is all there is to see, and, and it's just not the case. There's always more to know. There's always more to learn. But it's just it's it's hard to remember that because your brain does not want that. Your brain wants to move quickly. It wants to make fast decisions. It wants to move on. Um, but even those of us who think we know the truth or have the facts, even no, none of us really do. We're constantly learning. But the second thing that really um, gets in the way is I, I believe it's confirmation bias. It's this really, it's hard to let go of what you already believe. Yes. It is painful to let go of something that feels good. I think a lot of people these days, for instance, don't want to get vaccinated because they don't want to believe COVID is a big deal. Because if it's a big deal, then, oh my God, like that would suck. And I don't want things to suck. And so I'm just not going to believe it because it's so much easier to manage my emotions if I just think it's not that big of a deal. And then they make these decisions that suddenly have these repercussions that create a bigger deal than than that needed to be there for, you know, because they're trying to avoid that very thing. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way. Um, but if you if you are comfortable with being wrong and there's no shame in being wrong, there's no, um, you know, in the short term drawbacks of being wrong are nothing compared to the long term ones. If we can let go of confirmation bias, if we can admit that, you know, the information that contradicts what we already believe might actually be accurate information, 
um, then we, again, it'll help us open our minds to, to getting closer to the truth that we'll probably never reach. But so what? We're going to get closer to it. How do you how do you help others? I um I have a mantra yeah. on the show and I and I talk I talk a lot about forgiveness and you know forgiving forgiving someone else but most importantly forgiving yourself. Um I constantly annoyingly so I constantly try to see things from other perspectives not just other people's perspective but then you know to go above the forest and see the forest to then go down and understand people looking at the microbial level. I'm always trying to adjust my perspective to see um other angles to try to pick up more um information to for truth. And it's it's alarming to see how many people are stuck in that confirmation bias or stuck oh stuck within their own head and their own truth. How how I know this isn't part of your science, but you're a very experienced, learned person. How do we help others? Um, I don't want to use the term wake up, but how do we help others see other perspectives and, and understand that what you just said, that in this in this middle of this argument, to have them open up to receive what someone else is saying and share their perspective? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I have so many conversations about this with um, a friend of mine who's a, who's a journalist at the Washington Examiner. And because it's really like, how do you get people to to um I, how do you get people to stop believing dumb stuff right like that's really kind of the frustration i think a lot of us have friends and family members who disagree with us on very key critical issues and we know that they are they are uninformed that they're they are not seeking the truth and and yet they're using the same language that i would be using like oh you know you have to question authority you can't go along with the norms you can't like just assume that everything you you see is all there is to see. And yet, if you look at the behavior, they're doing exactly the opposite of that. Yes. So um, so they're not really living. They're not practicing what they preach. They're not being critical thinkers at all. They're just disagreeing with the norm, with the status quo, which is not the same. Like criticizing is not the same as being critical or being a critical thinker. Um, but I think what to, what people do wrong, one thing that they do wrong in trying to convince people to change their minds is that they use um, facts. And the brain, the human brain doesn't really remember facts very well. Data, statistics, you can um, showcase, for instance, you know, uh, vaccine effectiveness rates, you can showcase, um, you know, here are the rates of transmission and COVID deaths in states that were not on lockdown versus states that were, you can show all that data all you want. But it's not, it doesn't resonate, numbers aren't really interesting, the brain doesn't really remember that. The brain is hardwired to remember stories. Stories, in fact, people who are experts at memory, at like these um, memory tournaments, use stories to kind of remember facts they're supposed to remember. So if you really want to convince someone else to, for instance, take the vaccine, then sh come up with a story, share interesting stories about, you know, someone who who saved the lives of their family members by getting a vaccine or who didn't who you know, didn't save the lives of their family members by not getting vaccinated. Um, those really powerful individual stories that you can connect to emotionally are much more compelling and much more persuasive than facts. Um, and the other thing that people tend to do that's a mistake is if they disagree, they detach. They pull away. I can't stand this. I don't want to listen to this crap anymore. 
um, there is a 0% chance you will change anyone's mind and change you know, the open-mindedness of society as a whole if you are not having conversations at all. Yeah. So as much as it's painful to remain connected to people who believe in things that are completely opposite of what you believe in, if there's any hope, it's all about increasing the chances. If there's any chance at all at changing their minds, you have to maintain connection and you have to be in the right position to change their minds, which means build a strong relationship on things that you really are having in common. Make sure that you're someone they trust so that when you do share stories, they don't disbelieve you. Stay, stay in the game, stay there. If it really matters to you to change this person's mind, suck it up and stay connected. Wow, that's I think that's important words um, and something I've taken to heart because I've had so many trying relationships the last couple of years, especially this last election year, um, where where people do bristle and pull away. And it's important to remember to stay connected because they're your neighbors, they're your loved ones, they're your siblings. Mm -hmm. And we we have to remember those reasons why we are connected. It doesn't always have to be an argument over uh, the Bill Gates vaccine or uh, January 6th, quote unquote, mm -hmm. insurrection. It can be about um, how well someone makes a potato salad. And, exactly. you know, it, and eventually <laughs> maybe the right moment will come um, when, you know, you can explain uh, the the deaths on January sixth to someone that's willing to listen and and the comparative um, dynamics or you know you and I could sit down and and talk about the decision making process of getting the vaccine or not getting the vaccine and yeah. and uh, I just I, I want to end with there because those were really powerful words that you just gave and I have enjoyed this conversation so much uh, I didn't know what to think. When I, when I found you, I didn't even know this science really existed, to be honest. And to find somebody that's so nuanced in their thought process and the way that you're applying um, your science into so many different aspects of life and maintaining such a... Uh, above above the above the scene kind of perspective. I think that you're the type of person that really tries to look and see things from other perspectives and has success doing that. Um, I just really appreciate you. And I, wow, I, thank th you. I thank you for coming on the show, sharing yourself. Um, I think it's possible we're going to reach out to you again, maybe with something more uh, specific if something comes up in this world and we're like, hey, Let's get a hold of uh, Nika Kabiri, Kabiri, excuse me, and uh, get her take on this. Um, I just, you know, I I love to know that there's people in academia out there that are really applying common sense and broad perspective strokes uh, within their particular discipline. Jay, thank you so much for those kind words. I'd be more than happy to talk with you again. This is John Devon, The Foundation. I want to encourage you to spread the love and share the Conservative Hippie Podcast. We are building this community one person at a time.
Let's be friends. We're all on this cosmic spaceship together. Subscribe and share the Conservative Hippie Podcast. Visit our sponsors, SmokinJays.com. Everything for your smoking lifestyle. StonerHoroscopes.com. Adora Zen dishes cosmic vibes for the stoner at heart. KickFromTheSpot.com. Soccer is American.